let's not forget about the fact that with all this innovation, like understanding where our risk conditions lie and for us to pay attention to that becomes important. So wherever we go and mature and build our functionality, those guardrails are, should not be forgotten. Let's not neglect guardrails in the journey where things like control tower matter, things like being able to set the right boundaries of how systems are supposed to work. Like I was, I was saying until I'm in the ground, the basics matter. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, President and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Tunde Oni Daniel, Head of Technology Operations and Engineering at One Main Financial. Tunde also serves as Chief Strategist and CISO Advisor at Trinity Security Solutions, supporting such clients as African Development Bank. And he has also been the Global Head of Security Engineering at Deutsche Bank. You get the idea. He's got an illustrious career under his belt, and he's talking with me today about remediation in the cloud lifecycle. Tunde, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you very, very much for having me, Alan. It's been a nice pleasure to be here. All right, so let's get started with just some basics like the cloud lifecycle. Like walk me through what you think the components and the flow of the cloud lifecycle are. So uh, depending on how you point on the topic of cloud, it becomes very interesting to understand. Depending on where you are, you're going from the traditional, the model of how service were built in the cloud versus where you're leveraging things like workloads, microservices to build and deliver services out of the cloud. And that evolution has been really, really pertinent for organizations that come from how I will take workloads that run on a on-premises kind of set of setup and migrate those controls and capabilities over to the cloud and use those unilaterally in the cloud environment, where now the journey has basically taken what you will run in that traditional model and containerized it. And now if we lift the from containerization, even if you just microservice enablement, where it's primary down to the function and ser functional service you needed to do to run in that environment and provide that service. So it's been a very, very interesting journey. And many organizations are kind of walking to that pendulum swing of where how I did things in the infrastructure was the original play. But now I'm doing things in a modern kind of an enabled way where I'm taking the advantage of cloud scalability, service orchestration, visibility and really modernizing how I deliver services to my customers. Yeah, I get that. I get that. So so let's talk about some challenges then. Um, here's our new model. Here's our new evolution. We, we've followed the journey. We've gone from on-prem to VMs in the cloud, to containers in the cloud, microservices. We've got Lambda functions. Like here we are off in our modern, modern, modern cloud world and findings are still happening. We're still getting security findings. Um, so what are the challenges when that happens, especially in this truly modern scenario? Like, like you know, and I know there's a million tools out there and people talk about your, let's, let's try to map our cloud and find out what our attack surfaces and let's do our asset management in the cloud. And, you know, all the traditional things we try to do out of the cloud, we're trying to do in the cloud now. Some with limited success, some with great success. But, but at the end of the day, findings are still going to happen. And what are some of the challenges you see in terms of like, oh, boy, here's the challenges. What are we looking at? Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. If you think about the evolution, right, people have not completely swung across where the traditional things of old school AMIs having a plethora of different machine images that you're running in your, in your cloud environment and not able to move and lift it as fast because you don't want to sustain downtime. Usually it becomes the impact. 
when we don't want to drive those updates or lift it to a different model. But like one of the fundamental things that I think people will still miss is getting the basics right. Like a lot of times, what one of the things that gives agility in the cloud is the fact that it's pre-built. I can instantiate an environment based on a Lambda functional IAC and basically environments are completely built out, taking templates and pulling that in. But the controls in regards to ensuring that security is built into what I instantiate gets forgotten. So locking things down, the things that you do from a minimal build perspective, ensuring that your libraries are right, ensuring that you're not driving wrong functional calls, all the things that you will do to make sure that you've locked down those environment gets missed. So forgetting the basis of configuration management, log management, access remediation, and just secure configuration to build a design model gets forgotten. Now, so that's really around the basic. Now, when you lift it up a little bit and get into the constraints of now taking advantage of, of, of modular services in the cloud and bringing them together to form your own delivered service, you're dependent on third parties that are managing different areas. So the compounding of the problem gets worse. Now, again, this is all modern web, web 2.0 or 3.0, depending on the favorable flavor of the day. And all these things are basically have their own wrappers on how they deliver it. There's modules to it that you still have to support. There's components that you still have to patch. And then knowing exactly do I patch the application version constraints or do I worry about patching the syntax errors that's created based on the app that I've delivered, meaning your web app vulnerabilities, your dynamic code testing of vulnerabilities, your static code the vulnerability testing, your secret management, all of those areas comes together. And now the team that has to drive the remediation wonders and says, dude, what do I do first? I, I, I need to prioritize this. I only have an amount of time set in my backlog to focus on remediating security issues. And the reality of that problem statement is they don't know what to do first because everything comes out from the technologies as critical. Context of the business that's actually out having those impacts is not captured. So it's all high, it's all critical context of how it all comes together and why it's a problem is missed. And that continues to reverberate in organizations where it's like, they're just like, I don't know what to fix first. I'm just going to get the low-hanging fruit, the things I can fix first, and drive remediation. And with that, every single day, think about the amount of zero days we see in different libraries and different functions. It continues to get, get worse every day single day and the backlog continues to grow. Wow. That's, that's it. That's it. And, and, you know, there's a phrase you didn't use there, which is always interesting to me, drift management, yes. right? And, and the fact that there's so much infrastructure as code now and drift management with infrastructure as code becomes so critical, it becomes such a thing. Um, so, so I think, all right, we've nailed it. We've nailed the uh, kind of the problem area, right? And now there's another subtle twist I always like to bring up because, you know, this is a security show. We're all security professionals and we always talk about vulnerabilities. But the reality is, you know, somebody said something very smart on my show a little while ago, which is if you can characterize a vulnerability as a bug, you're going to get a lot more traction from the Absolutely. engineers to fix it. Right. So Absolutely. so let's talk about that bugs versus vulnerabilities thing. Everything you just described. How do we go about kind of characterizing that stuff as bugs and not just as vulnerabilities? Like I'm thinking in terms of getting it addressed, getting it looked at, getting the attention put on it. You've got that confusion about where do I begin? Well, hey, this is a critical bug. How do we uh, how do we get that across the fence? So, so I, 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 lo I love that word. Actually, I'm actually going to steal it uh, because when you think about the when I alluded to the business syntax of a problem statement, when you think about the criticality of a vulnerability, 
one of the things that security protectionists, uh, professionals struggle with doing is being able to bring the context of the vulnerability to the impact, to the platform or to the business. So if I can talk about it from that particular context, I can basically say, if this happens, this is the potential downtime or the potential bug within the system that will prevent a business outcome. Those conversations are very, very powerful. Because the reality is you're talking about it from the business sense. If I can say that I will have an inst unstable application to serve my customers if I don't remediate this particular bug and applying that context to a business logic of what is broken, the magic is you can get that prioritized. Your product managers will love the idea. They will say, yes, this is exactly it. We need to do this fast. And, but a lot of the vulnerabilities struggle in being able to plug into that. And that's where we as practitioners need to pivot our communication and lingo. Because if you want to elevate a vulnerability to where it makes sense or is impactful for a business, it's really tying that conversation back to the platform availability, to what it does from a resiliency perspective, to what it does to the business being able to serve its customers, its people, its feature functionality. Like that really becomes the area of focus there when you think about it as a bug. Like think about it from a, like if you look at the world of software practitioners today and where, where products gets delivered, nothing ever gets wrapped under the umbrella of a security flaw. It's always considered as a bug in the product. Now, there's things you append to that and this is kind of where we, where the bringing all these conversations together in a, in a, in the right manner helps where you can package the things you want to fix into a bug. And then when that release happens, you've captured a number of vulnerabilities along with that. But it really re means that practitioners have to understand business context. And you bubble up the vulnerabilities in the package of risk prioritization that ties to how we can label the issue from a feature functionality of what you want to deliver to your team or to the customers and that conversation sells better. That's it. That's it. absolutely it. That's it. So, so this ties into, you know, we, we've had conversations on this show in the past. I, I don't know how much you've listened to the show or how many guests you've, you've heard come and go, but um, you know, there's, there's some animosity against the term DevSecOps. There's some, there's some security folks that believe DevSecOps should not even be a term because the sec should be so intrinsic. It should just be DevOps with good security built in natively and intrinsically. And, and, you know, like, why should we point out the sec that's kind of making it stand out as a separate thing? So ignoring that perspective, I'm going to talk about Dev, Sec, and Ops as sort of three functions, if you will, within this entire schema. And when we talk specifically about this whole idea of findings, calling them bugs, calling them vulnerabilities, getting them fixed, getting them put through, Specific to findings, what are the relationships there between SEC and dev and ops? And how do we how do we optimize? And it's and it's beyond like we just talked about, let's improve our lingo, let's improve our business impact statements, et cetera. But now we're getting into those relationships. Dev, SEC, and ops. What are the relationships between those three when it comes to this remediation cycle? Well, let's take the topic of let's use the word finding across what it means to those three different teams. To a dev team, your finding is syntax that I've not gotten right in my code base. I've missed something, and there's a capability that's not happening through that. To the sec team, I see a CBE or a CWE that has happened and is causing a problem to occur. And based on the criticality marker, I'm accelerating the remediation or prioritizing the remediation. The apps part of the conversation is where it gets interesting, where it is where, how do I continue? Like there is something in the way of my continuous operation 
for a platform perspective. And I need to think about that from the context of feature that needs to be enabled and how do I ensure that the feature or the capability being built is delivered in the manner of enabling the platform holistically. So if you think about those contexts, all those three different contexts, the parlance now becomes we need to uniform the language, make it uniform in the sense of what is the operational impact of not doing a thing? And when you can align it to operational impact, so for instance, I have a severe denial of service issue with a particular library. Okay, so that's SEC saying we have a finding. I have a severe finding that is yeah. there. From a deaf perspective, the understanding is I am calling a particular software library that is known to cause an issue. Rather than talking about the fact there's denial of service, going to the upside, I can talk about platform instability. And once I leverage the conversation of this, the, the code base has a flaw that's driving platform instability, where if it is if, if it's exploited or the condition occurs, then that particular platform would not be available. The app people are driven, well, I don't want the platform to not be stable as I enable the journey of how you build a platform and then making it because platform uptime I'm measured against platform availability. Try my three nines needs to be met and all that good stuff. The con you're bringing the context together. So what practitioners need to do is to build the conversation in the manner that allows one to understand the true impact to operations, the true impact to being able to deliver the business outcomes of the platform. I love that. I love that. All right. So when it comes to remediation strategies, then we've talked about lingo. We've talked about business impact. We've talked about characterizing it in terms that SEC, Dev, and Opsal, all three understand, assuming SEC is really going to be separate. Um, what I always like to ask people whenever we're talking about solutioning, because everything's kind of been problem statements up to now with a little bit of characterization, right? But let's dive deep on solutioning here. The two questions I always ask my team followed by a third question. I say, what works, what's fast, and what works and is fast. So what do you think on, on these cloud remediation strategies? What are the, what are the three? What's work, what works, what's fast, and what, what's both? So what works? Bringing the teams that speak security lingo, so neg negating the conversation about DevSecOps, but bringing the folks that can actually translate to the dev teams why it is important. And, and what works is bringing them together to look at the backlog together and driving prioritization. It really comes down to the basic. When you talk about it, three P's, people, process, and product. Like when you think about the end of product meaning technology. So like when you think about the people process is really bringing them together to have the conversation in standups where we bring the dev and the sex together to help understand the prioritization. Now, that can be done using technology, but when technology cannot fill that gap, you have people that come together that analyze the backlog and drive the prioritization of true impact. And then with that, able to prioritize against the work that the devs are going to do, along with that work of when you get the best bang for the little time they have in their sprint, to drive the improvements that are required, where you can combine the improvement functionality as well as the bug fixes into the product to get the value case of what you're getting for your next version. So like when you think about it from that perspective, what works is bringing everyone together to drive the prioritization. Now, what's fast? When you think about fast is literally doing a catch-all of all the vulnerabilities in the stream of what applies to the same, to the same systems 
and trying to combine them together and make them work in the same time period so you have minimal downtime. However, what, what fast and doesn't work in that particular situation is in many cases, you don't know what conditions are being created by bringing all those things together in the same stream to drive a remediation plan. So in that particular situation, you find yourself that you're, although you're trying to mitigate the vulnerability, you've created a function that now becomes a true software bug. Right. And this is the old, this is the old joke in all development, like even pre-cloud, even pre-infrastructure as code, you know, 99 bugs of uh, bugs on the wall, take one down, patch it, 999 bugs on the wall, uh, right? Like, you know, every, every time you fix one, you create three. Um, so that, okay. So that's fair. So that's what's fast. So how about what works and is fast? Let's pause right there real quick for a word from our sponsor. Do you want to make cloud security risks a no-brainer and remove friction between your security and dev teams? Well, Daz takes the pain out of the cloud remediation process using automation and intelligence to discover, reduce, and fix security issues. Lightning fast. Daz prioritizes alerts, shrinks backlog to actionable root causes, and improves mean time to remediation from weeks to hours. And best of all, keeps your developers focused on what they love doing most, coding. Visit daz.io slash demo and see for yourself. That's D-A-Z-Z dot I-O slash demo. So what works at its fast is bringing technology to help alleviate that concern. Because you cannot have enough time and day. If you go through the backlog, you will spend hours just trying to drive prioritization of what stitches to work, what library depends on what, which one do I do at one point in time? If you're trying to do that manually, the time it takes to get through the backlog ex just continues to explode the, ba explode the backlog. So the idea is leveraging technology to deduplicate those things. Bring context in regards to how CI's configurable item, asset, or the application communicates with itself and then identifying the exact part of what needs to be done first. And then driving when you do one, or and here's where the sweet spot gets into. If you're surgically addressing a part where you can't get the volumetric remediation, where, for instance, if I solve a if I add a remediation into my my infrastructure's code, where when I recompute or reconstitute my environment, I remediate all at once, the bang for the buck is to is a monstrosity because I've created a repeatable remediation for what I do and what I'm trying to do in the future. And that's how we can drive that in a sustained manner because you're not only doing it once, you're doing it in a repeatable manner and it sticks because it's written into code and the next time you instantiate, you're correcting from previous mistakes. Now, what that technology can help do that because you can bring all the other areas, your SBOM vulnerabilities, your AppSec vulnerabilities, your environmental vulnerabilities, your, your OS vulnerabilities. Yep. Infrastructure as code, the whole bit, all of it. Your bringer and your infrastructure's code vulnerability and your secrets management, your secrets issues that you've all identified and bringing them all together to drive context, prioritization, and focus based on where you're getting the best bang of your buck. And when you drive that prioritization, technology is now available like DAS and technologies in the market that helps you actually look at all those things holistically together and allows you to be very, very surgical in remediation. So you're fixing and driving sustained remediation for the things you do. I love it. I love it. And, it, you know, it's funny because it, you went ahead and said, Daz, I'll say Daz. They're sponsoring the show, but this is very much the realm they play in and do such a good job at. And it, it's amazing to me because we've had technology in the sim space, in the sock space, that does this sort of thing. 
for quite some time now. I'm going to take a, a, a I'm going to take a prompt from this tool and one from that tool and a thread until feed from over here and another prompt from this tool and a log from that tool and I'm going to cross reference them all and ultimately roll it up and say you've actually just got one issue here. You've got five separate thingies that are really just one thingy. Now I'm going to surface that up to and your sock analyst sees the one thingy. Okay, great. Sock's been doing this forever. It's about freaking time we did this with remediation. You know, like 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 it's the same thing. It's just like, hey, we're finally doing it. Why weren't we doing that 10 years ago back when SOC first came out? Like this is where it was needed, right? Absolutely, absolutely. But now here's where the problem came from. There were defined playbooks and processes when it comes to indicators of compromise on being able to get context together. But we were bringing together multiple technologies, multiple platforms to try to make sense of it it was a long drawn journey to get to the point where you can actually understand system syntax to application syntax to, to context and, and, and business flow syntax and bringing it all together to say, oh, if I do this, I am actually able to remediate more. So technology that allows us to be able to do that is really, is really a long time coming and we're glad it's finally here because it's the promise of the whole concept of security orchestration. Yeah, it is. You can drive a playbook that is now repeatable so it's orchestration right. for remediation. Well, and, and, and I brought up drift management earlier it's it's super important i think that we that we keep that one in mind as well because at the end of the day as we as we use this technology and we grind these things down and we get the list of bad things smaller and smaller and smaller eventually we get to a golden image right and and now drift management is just hey make sure everything's on this newest golden image and if not pull it in and we already know what the five things were we fixed or the 10 things were we fixed like it it helps with drift management too and drift management to me is probably still one of the biggest just sprawls of goofiness we have with cloud right and, and just like, and let me just make that a, a bit more of a, a of a airy situation where like just management because of the pervasiveness of environments continues to get worse. Yes. Why? Yes. Because there isn't standardization. And if I fix it in one place, I am being, I am basically, I'll use my army analogy. I'm being a sniper. I snipe one thing, I snipe the next thing. I snipe the next thing, I snipe the next thing. But the threat actor doesn't come, doesn't stop in that place because the issue comes from multiple locations. So drift management is exactly because the reality is there's a continual surge of things that are going to happen. Like every single day, you're going to see more vulnerabilities get detected. Researchers are going to continue to find new things and there are new things to have to fix. Until you face this systematically, it doesn't get sustained. And systematic remediation is where you address drift management. Right, right. And and I think migrating from VM to container helps with that as well. Like that's another big iteration for drift managers. The, the idea that you can nuke and reinstantiate so quickly now, that helps a lot now, too, right? It, do, it does help. But one thing we have to keep in mind is that it does it, it, it ensures that we don't keep those bad habits of you had that you had in your EMIs when you start doing when you start doing containers because most times reconstituting containers is not a discipline like people don't think about I need to reconstitute from the right libraries from the right environments when I rebuild and what have you but I, mean, I think that practice the journey is getting better people are starting to use Docker and when they work so when they use Docker when they work and they instantiate a new environment and new build at least it's starting to it's starting to take and people are going to take it but it's a journey yeah we're going to get there yeah one of, one of the cloud environments I work in now um, we we have no VMs, no Dockers, no microservices. It is 100% Lambda functions. S3, That's beautiful. S3, uh, DynamoDB, um, Lambda, 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 Lambda. And it's amazing, you know, with Terraform driving that, right? It's amazing how lean you can get, right? And and I'm excited to, I, I want to get one of these cloud remediation tools. I, well, I, I will, it's a DAS sponsored show. I'll go ahead and say DAS again. I want to get a tool like DAS and run it in that environment and see where I get, 
you know? One thing you do have to watch out for, though, because they're, they're Lambda dependencies on the version of Lambda as well. So if you get locked in your Lambda function and you don't manage your Lambda function as you try to instantiate you, you might be able to instantiate your environment, but the actual core of how you build it gets vulnerable. You have to create a big impact there as well. So it's something for one to pay attention yeah, to. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that, that's that a good point. That abstraction layer becomes very, very important to pay attention to that as well. It's like, again, keeping the, keeping the basics right, getting the basics right, especially whatever does the plumbing, whatever does the instantiation, and the build also has to have love and attention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's no, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And that's a great segue to my next question, which is uh, you're doing such a good job. Like, like t- to me, you're at the cutting edge of where we are today. Like you're, you're doing this, right? Like, like you've got these smart tools and you're doing all these cool things. Where do you see the next three to five years? Like, where is, where is this headed? Cloud remediation, cloud instantiation, drift management, infrastructure as code. Like we got all these things going on. Where do we, where do we see the future in the next three to five years? So the next three to five years, and as with, with with the introduction of, and I hate to use the parlance, but I'm going to use it, is the whole introduction of artificial intelligence and machine learning. Like large language models are going to be the game changer because now you're not only you're not only training your models to be able to respond to things, but you're going to be training your models on how to do it. And then being able to do it by itself where it doesn't need to see an issue. If an issue is detected and it starts to execute the remediation playbook and self-correct in the play, that is like, now, I worry about that particular place because it's close. I've seen it in action where, where OpenShift and technologies like that are starting to take advantage of that in starting to also run Ansible playbooks that drives a remediation play based on the detection of the condition. And that truly is where we can get to the point of meeting our four nines. Because everybody talks about the nirvana of four nines, but truly four nines availability for platforms can only come when systems detect a condition. It's a promise of EDR all over again, where you say you detect a particular behavior and before the result of the behavior occurs, you are course correcting based on that detection and making that better. That's where it's coming. That's where it's going. I'm going to see a lot. We're going to see a lot of improvements there, but it's all going to be powered with technology to know what to do to remediate it right. So... Training models to be able to use the technologies the right way for they can so they can cost correct and they set thresholds of understanding. It also means that we have to we have to be doctors of our technology where we understand exactly where fault tolerance is created, application monitoring, understanding of our detection, like getting into the whole concept of application detection and response is a very, very sweet spot where we're detecting things within the application and responding and remediating as we see. I love it. I love that, man. That's 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 exactly it. it, it, it... It's okay to let the machines babysit the machines when a, when a supervisory paradigm is in place, correctly you know applied. And obviously, you want that you want that morning check in, right? You want the hey humans, here's the three things I found last night. Here's how I correlated them. Here's how I correlated them. Here's the two steps I took to remediate. Tell me if I did good, you know. And and even if it's wrong occasionally, I, I'd still rather have a little bit of one spot of functionality downtime over the course of a few hours overnight than waking up in the morning and finding out the bad guys got in. A thousand percent. And the idea the idea here is we can drive where I mean, it's all back to the concept of guardrails. Once you build the right guardrails around around it. You can let technology do what technology does best, and someone is watching the watcher. Someone is paying attention to the guardrails that within that particular bound of what you're enabled to do, you're doing the right way, you're meeting the outcomes that you're supposed to achieve. 
and it's a very, very good outcome at the very retail end. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's You know, we've talked about automating purple teaming before and getting it to the point where the red team and the blue team are, are sitting there playing Pokemon on their phones because the computers are attacking and curing each other constantly and just reporting in like, oh, I tried that. Oh, great. Oh, I fixed that. Okay, great. I did that. Okay, great. I blocked that. Okay, great. And the humans are just playing games on their phone and watching it all happen <laughs> like, that's nirvana. That's the dream state. And I think we can get there with cloud remediation, too. I want, I want to come in in the morning and have my computers tell me they fixed themselves. That's where I want to get to. I am, like, I am right there with you. Where I mean, I, we've been taking a step further where I, I, I can understand the pattern of this time of the, of the month. This is exactly what the customers are doing on the platform. And I'm auto-scaling to be able to remediate, adding nodes in, adding workloads in adding capabilities in and functionality in to be able to automatically scale. And as things don't course work accordingly, knowing exactly what remediation steps to play into that to ensure that the system meets the outcome that the business needs it to meet. That's like that geeks me out every single day. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Are starting to come out for us. We deliver that kind of product for our, for, for our customers. That's totally it. And I want to point out Tunde was kind enough to join the show from a live conference in DC. So a little bit of that background noise you just heard, he's at a conference. These things happen. This is the Cyber Ranch podcast. We record no matter what. Um, so how about how about this, Tunde? Anything else on the uh, on the topic that you care to chat about, share about? Any other last thoughts or ideas? I mean, this has been a powerful conversation, man. This is there's going to be a ton of people tuning in this and get really excited about what you got to say. So bring nah, us home, man. Is, bring us home. This is a lot. This is a lot of fun. Let's not forget about the fact that with all this innovation, like understanding where our rich conditions lie, and for us to pay attention to that becomes important. So wherever we go and mature and build our functionality, those guardrails are, should not be forgotten. Let's not neglect guardrails in the journey where things like control tower matter, things like being able to set the right boundaries of how systems are supposed to work. Like I was, I was saying until I'm in the ground, the basics matter. Getting the basics right matter. But once you do that, the outcomes are going to be tremendous. Because once you can scale from that, getting that right, and then setting the right boundaries and the right guardrails, this, the, the opportunity is rich. Think about language, large language models. Everybody's scared and nervous about it. But the reality is it. If you set the right boundaries and put the right controls around what you're worried about, the opportunity is rich. And the capabilities just continue to be valuable yeah, with your organization. It's like, it's like digging a mine, right? You just need to remember every now and again, you got to put the big wooden braces up and you can keep digging and keep finding all those rich minerals and then put the big wooden braces up and keep digging and put the big root, you know, and just, and that's how you build a mine, right? A thousand percent correct. A thousand percent that correct. That is it. And I'm so glad you said control tower. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm one of my, one of my projects I'm working on right now is a SOC 2 certification. And we're using, um, you know, these SOC 2 automation tools that have come out. Um, that, that, you know, prompt you and walk through and plug in and talk to and all the things. And there was uh, one that I saw recently that, oh man, keep going. Keep so going. so I'm, I'm working on one that we're talking to Amazon and they wanted to access Amazon and get into the accounts and do all the things to cross map and know what was going on in Amazon. And I said, we're using control tower and the tool doesn't know how to talk to control tower. And I was like, oh, you guys are killing me. Control Tower is so neato. It's so good for managing what you're doing in Amazon. And and so I'm I'm working with these guys. I got a ticket in and I'm like, you guys have got to get Control Tower friendly. They and have you to do learn it, quick. it. They have to learn it because if you I mean once organizations get to control tower and they set the right guardrails in place, like if if they expecting the basic functionality to still be in place, it's just not gonna work. So you have to learn to work within the guardrails that have been built. And again, once you're able to work around the guardrails, you satisfy controls. You're getting the basics yes. right. Yes, that's it. 
All right, well, Tunde, thank you so much for taking time out of your conference today to come be on the ranch and chat with me. This has been a phenomenal conversation. My, you are obviously very knowledgeable, very passionate, and very into this stuff, which is huge for me. My audience is going to love this show. So thank you, Tunde. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here, Alan. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. All right, and thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now.